Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. And tonight, our Cleveland Cavaliers took on the Atlanta Hawks for the third time this year. Cleveland had won the previous two matchups earlier this season. And in the first game, back on November 28th, Donovan Mitchell absolutely went off as he notched his second 40-point effort of the season as the Cavs dominated the Hawks, outscoring them in three out of the four quarters, including a massive 38 in the third quarter alone. It was a feel-good victory that doubled as an in-season tournament win as well. Now, the second victory came on December 16th in a game that saw the Cleveland Cavaliers overcome a combined 56 points from Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, thanks in large part to the trio of Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, and most impressive of all, Jared Allen, who worked Atlanta to the tune of 25 points and 14 rebounds. Tonight, it was really a team effort. Seven different Cavaliers took at least five field goal attempts, which led to seven Cavs players scoring in double figures, including all five starters. This felt like a true team victory. There were so many worthwhile performances that I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. But let's start with Asuka Kura, who finished with 12 points, his third game with at least 10 points in his last five, and his 13th double-digit scoring affair of this young season. Now, fun fact, it took Okoro 54 appearances last season to record that many last year. He's done so in just 31 games this year. A lot of it has to do with the increased opportunities he's garnered this season due to the injuries. His six and a half field goal attempts per game are his most since his second season. Now, he may not be the focal point of the Cavalier offense, but he is efficient and effective with his looks. Okoro is definitely still a work in progress as a shooter, but he is taking and making the most triples per game since his rookie season and looking much, much more confident while doing so. Tonight, though, it wasn't about the shooting. It was more so about his work in transition, an area where Okoro typically excels. He is one of just three players completing 70% of their transition looks while scoring at least three points per game in that regard. The other two, Zion Williamson and Kevin freaking Durant. He's among the top three in transition frequency as well at 29.8%. When he's moving in the open court, dude is a hard guy to stop. Four out of his five made field goals tonight came in transition. Okoro finished with eight total fast break points. The Hawks as a team had 11. Okoro seems to have this preternatural feel for winter on the floor. When the Hawks missed shots, Okoro would do much the same after the Cavs secured the defensive board. He just couldn't be stopped while running the floor. Now defensively, Okoro wasn't perfect as Young got the best of him a few times, catching him off guard with his pull-up jumper, but overall I was satisfied with his work defensively as he managed to take Trey out of the game for large stretches. Young would finish with 15 points and 5 assists. That's well below his season average of 26.9 points and 10.8 assists per game. But as I mentioned before, this was a collective effort. Another performance worth discussing came from that of Donovan Mitchell, who finished with his 17th game with six or more assists. He has steadily turned into one of the NBA's best combo guards and is now averaging 27.8 points per game and 5.9 assists. Mitchell is currently 7th in scoring and is one of just six players league-wide to average at least 27-5-5, along with Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, Giannis, SGA, and KD, elite company to be in. And here's the thing, Donovan has a knack for turning into whatever the situation calls for. Need him to get you a bucket? He's got you. Donovan, right through the middle of the defense. Oh, that is way too easy. Deep playmaking in a pinch, he's your guy. Seven on the shot clock, there was no reset on it. Mitchell oh, got by oh. Payne. 
What a kick out, Niang. Butter. Oh, that was sweet, Hugh. Need a defensive stop? Mitchell is playing defense like he is back at Louisville. DJ trying to make something happen against the long arm defender and Allen. The shot is no good. Rebound of Kagwu. Back up. That's blocked. Yet he is somehow heavily appreciated and undervalued at the same damn time. Even more so without having another true go-to scorer out there. He has picked up the slack in a major way from the absences of Darius Scarlett and Evan Mobley. Since they've gone down, he has upped his averages to 28.4 points and 7.3 assists. He is playing at an MVP level, and in my opinion, however biased it may come off, is that he should be a finalist for that award. Spider has put this team on his back on so many occasions already, whether it be his 45-point explosion in Paris to lead the Cavs to victory over the Brooklyn Nets, or his 40 points over the Atlanta Hawks earlier this season, or his well-balanced performances against the Golden State Warriors, which led to a season sweep of them, by the way. Donovan has taken this team to the next level. You know who else had another big performance? Jared Allen. This man deserves to be an all-star. He just does. He is one of just four Eastern Conference bigs to average at least 14 points, 10 rebounds, and one block. And you want to hear something crazy? Evan Mobley is in that group as well. Since Mobley and Garland have been out, Jira is averaging 18 points, 13 rebounds, 3.7 assists, and 1.3 blocks. The Cavs are playing through him a hell of a lot more. There's more spacing around him, they're getting him more touches, and as a result, he has been fully unleashed on his opponents. J8 would finish this game with his 11th straight double-double, by far the longest such streak of his career. Hopefully he keeps that going. And while Jarrett isn't prime Tristan Thompson out there on the offensive glass, he is among the league leaders this season in that category with 3.4 offensive rebounds per game. Allen has been pivotal in generating a ton of second-chance points for this Cleveland team. They rank 6th in the NBA in that respect. He is also key in not allowing the Cavs opponents to capitalize on second chance opportunities as they allow the seventh fewest second chance points in the NBA at 13.2 per game. One of the ways he has gotten more involved is through the continued use of the DHO. JB is allowing him to direct traffic more and more and it has had a positive impact out there on the cutters and the shooters. Allen has easily been one of the Cavs' most dependable players this season, and although the most recent All-Star fan vote returns didn't include Allen, I wouldn't be surprised if the coaches got him in. He's been that impactful for this team. Hopefully they do. I'm going to be pissed if they don't. Also, Max Struess joined in on the fun as well, contributing 13 points and 7 assists in just 20 minutes of action. He had a really hard fall early in the first that had me a little scared, to be honest. It would have been hard for the course had he been injured. Luckily, a major injury was avoided and Struess returned. Although Struess isn't shooting the ball extremely well this season, the gravity he generates is real and he draws the attention of the defense. That's something that you cannot teach. The Cavs knew that he could be streaky and he's certainly experiencing quite the slump as of late. Struess is just 3 of 22 over his last five games and is knocking down just 33.6% of his triples this season so far. Sooner or later, he's got to start making more of these shots or the defenses could back off, which we don't want, right? Luckily, Struess is providing impact in other ways. Case in point, Struess is a much better distributor of the basketball than his career averages of just 1.9 assists per game would seem to indicate. He is putting up a career-high 3.8 dimes per contest and has developed a really solid two-man game with Jared Allen and was doing much the same with Evan Mobley before he went down. He just knows how to play the DHO and operate the pick and roll really well thanks in large part to his time playing alongside Bam Adebayo in Miami. 
Struess knows how to leverage the spacing that he provides and to become more adept at using it against his opponents. He has also been a really, really solid rebounder as well, averaging a career-best 4.9 boards per game this year. He has 21 games this season with at least five rebounds, including three with 10 or more rebounds. He had 20 all of last season. Let that sink in. This was an unexpected development, but hey, I'll take it, especially without Evan Mobley being available. And to be honest, the Cavs have done a pretty good job at team rebounding. They rank sixth in the league in overall rebounds per game with 45.3, a number that rises to 47.2 over the last 15 games, which coincides with Evan and Darius being out. Now, on the other side of the ball, Mad Max isn't quite Isaac Okoro out there at the point of attack, but he has more than held his own. He is averaging the most blocks and steals of his career, and as long as he can continue to tread water on that end while providing an upgrade in the spacing department over last season, which he's doing, he could and should continue to see heavy rotational minutes as long as he is healthy. His 33.2 minutes per game are far and away the highest mark of his career. And when Struz isn't playing well, you now have the option of trotting out the league's next great flamethrower out there. Man, y'all know who I'm talking about. Sam motherfucking Merrill, the literal embodiment of TNT himself. He put up 18 points in this one, and while he may not have had the most efficient night, he still drilled five triples and made the defense pay for leaving him alone. Merrill has now made 58. He has 58 total three-pointers this year, which is more than his previous three seasons combined. The fact that he has knocked down 41.4% of them is just astounding to me. We got to get this man into the three-point contest. I keep seeing that everywhere, but I seriously hope it happens. Make it happen. Y'all want to know something crazy? He will probably be in the top 50 in franchise history and total triples made by the end of the season, assuming he continues to just see regular run. Now, the target number here, folks, is 34. Y'all heard that right. Sam Merrill needs just 34 more threes to move past Juan Wagner for a spot in the top 50. This just kind of illustrates the difference between the eras, in my opinion. Now, Wagner spent three seasons in wine and gold and only made 91 triples his entire time, while guys like Max Strews, Lowry Markkinen, and pretty soon Merrill needed just one. Of course, there are exceptions like three-time All-Star Dan Marley, who drilled 146 in just a single season with Cleveland, but it's much more common to see due to the sheer volume the three balls attempted at these days. People are letting it fly. Merrill is far from just a shooter too, and you'd be sadly mistaken if that's your takeaway when watching him play. He's a pretty solid facilitator and isn't a player who is prone to gunning. He will absolutely look to get his teammates open and will make the extra pass when necessary, which is nice. Over his last five games, Merrill is averaging 3.4 assists. He is giving a nice boost of playmaking to this Cavs bench unit. I love it, man. I do. Defensively, Merrill has held up much better than I thought him capable of. He has drawn seven charges already. Tonight, he held his individual matchups to 2-7 from the field. He made Bogdan Bogdanovich feel his presence as he stayed plastered to him often. Overall, through 25 appearances, he has held opponents to 43 of 109, or 39.4% from the field overall. He is very good at the point of attack. George Niang was also very good in this one as well. And after coming off his career night against the Milwaukee Bucks, in which he put up 33 points on an ultra-efficient 13-14 from the field, it was clear that his shooting had carried over. He drilled five triples in that one. He knocked down four in this matchup. 
He has now drilled 17 threes in his last five games and 74 total on the season. Niang got off to an icy start to begin the season. In his first 20 games, Niang was averaging 8.4 points and completing just 34.8% of his triples. In his last 20, he is up to 10.3 points and 38.7% respectively. Now, he isn't quite knocking them down like he has the past five seasons, but he's getting damn, damn close to it. He is converting on 38.1% of his catch-and-shoot triples and has become a very reliable option off the bench for this Cavs team. The minivan has truly become the G-Wagon. He doesn't take no shit and he'll let you know about it. I love it. Niang is averaging a career-best 9.3 points per game and 3.8 boards this season and has done well in his new role. So far, this has been a worthwhile signing. Kudos to Kobe Altman for that. But Cavs fans, my God, Cavs fans, there was perhaps no more impressive performance in this game than that of Dean Wade. Dean Jackson Wade was absolutely cash money. The stats do not often tell the whole story when it comes to Dean Wade. I mean, hell, 5.7 points per game and 4.5 rebounds in 22 minutes per game doesn't scream impactful at all on the surface. But I implore you, to look past the sheer counting stats when it comes to Wade because the box score rarely does him justice. He sacrifices a ton on the offensive side of the ball while often taking on some of the most difficult front court matchups on the defensive side of the ball. The K-State product is taking just four and a half field goal attempts per game this season and doesn't complain one bit. He knows what the Cavs ask of him and he is happy to oblige. You need players like this to compete for championships and not just basketball, but any sport. Honestly, he embodies the idea that is team basketball to the fullest. Tonight, Wade finished with 17 points on six and seven from the field. And the best part, he drilled five triples. Wade just looked confident as hell out there, which hasn't always seemed to be the case this season. And when he lets it fly, he can do some real damage from beyond the arc. This is exactly the level of play that we all know that he is capable of. He just needs to do it more consistently to earn the respect of the general fans. Wade has taken the bulk of his threes from above the break, but where he has been really solid is from the corners where he is a combined 49.8%. He is red hot in that right corner though, finishing 14 of 26 of them, which is good for 53.8%. Though he is now shooting 38.6% from three-point distance on the season, he still isn't necessarily drawing a ton of gravity. 3.6 of his 3.9 three-point attempts per game are considered open or wide open. But with that said, if Wade can continue to make opposing defenses pay for this lack of respect, he will eventually begin drawing gravity, which in turn will open the floor even more. Now on the other side of the ball, Wade is one of the highest rated defenders in the league. He don't get credit, but it's true. B-Ball Index has him ranked as the number one wing stopper and number one on-ball defender in their D-LeBron categories. He is currently holding his matchups to 49.6% from the floor. He has taken on such a large share of the defensive responsibility with Mobley missing time that it's not even funny. Things I love from this game. And let me clarify something. Now, I typically tell you what I loved and what I hated, but honestly, I didn't really hate anything from this game. So I'll just rattle off some things that I loved. First up, the Cavs held Trey Young to nearly 12 points below his season average, thanks large part to some really solid team defense as well as Isaac Okoro. 
They held the Hawks below 30% from three-point distance. It was the 13th time this season that a team has failed to crack the 30% mark against Cleveland. Clamps. The Cavs been scored 42 points, and over the past 15 games, they have the league's third highest scoring bench unit, averaging 47.2 points per game. Also, Pete Nance made his NBA debut, which was pretty awesome and well-deserved after he had been tearing it up in the G League, and I really wonder if the Cavs will sign him to a second 10-day contract. Time will tell. CBJ made his 27th appearance of the season. Good things tend to happen when he plays as well. The Cavs are 19-8 and when that happens. That'll do it for this one. And following this matchup, the Cavs will take on the Orlando Magic for the third time this season. And so far, they've split the matchups with Cleveland winning round one and Orlando taking round two. Now, the Magic are just four and six over the last 10 games, while the Cavs have won eight of their last 10. Time will tell what comes around three, but with the way the Cleveland-based franchise has played, I'm putting my money on win number eight in a row. Like I always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to me, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of this review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good one.